I've got a really good feeling about this. I have a bad feeling about this. This is The 11 Days of Star Wars. My Backlog, the podcast where we exorcise our pop culture demons by spending two weeks at Christmas lovingly analyzing all the highs and lows of our favorite franchises. I'm your host, Tessa, and with me is my co-host, Sam. Joining us today is long time since we've seen her, Megan. (laughs) Yes, I come back at Christmas, though, you know, I'm like the Grinch. (laughs) Yeah, Megan is our little Christmas elf. Was Vin Diesel in this movie and I didn't notice? <laughs> um, no, I would tell you if he was. <laughs> is, he, is he one of the, uh, one of the creatures? One? Because I know he does it in the other one. In Marvel? Yeah, I guess that's yeah. true. Yeah. She comes back for Christmas and Fast and Furious. Those, yes. are, those are our two speeds <laughs> for, for Megan on Monkey. We're going to hit that speed again next year. Yes. It'll be Woo! Yeah, it's coming out this year. I'm ready. Next You're year. like, that is actually what I'm looking forward to most this holiday season. And I'm like, it's not even in the holidays. You're like, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I did want to ask, uh, because it is the holiday season, we were just talking beforehand about how sometimes it's hard to feel like we're getting into the holidays, but is there anything that you are particularly looking forward to this holiday season? Any traditions or events or movie watches, anything like that? I'm pretty terrible because all of my Christmas time movie watches are like me frantically panicking that I haven't seen things for the Oscars. And being like, I have to see these movies before I create my year-end best of the year list, which, you know, 10 people max even see, let alone care about. We see it and we will care about it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm sitting here and I'm like, all right, what's, what's my Christmas time movie plan? Avatar The Way of Water, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is coming out during the holidays. Doesn't that sort of make it a holiday movie? I, you know, we'll see. I think there is something like Christmas timey about James Cameron movies. Like, they're events, you know, it's the big one. <laughs> and all I'll say is, like, we know it exists now. Like, somebody we know knows it exists, and I trust that person. It is a Christmas miracle. This whole thing, I like. I saw trailers and I was like, "This isn't. This is not real." Like, and then like yesterday, the um, you know social embargo went up when we were recording this. But and I was like, "Oh my gosh, people have seen it. It like is. It actually exists and has a runtime and it's a whole movie." <laughs> yeah, I think when I first saw the trailer, I literally said to Sam. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. No. I'll, I'll see it. I'll believe it when I'm in that theater looking it, at that it. That was like a running joke with my friends who don't even know anything about movies. Is they're like, <laughs> no. that, uh, those Avatar sequels that are never happening, right? And I'm like, exactly. Now, and here we are. Now, I will say this, because I have no, I haven't really heard any of the particulars of it yet. I haven't. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that it's not actually just Piranha 3. <laughs> I mean, there's no way to know because no one's actually seen I mean, Piranha it's still Three. Water, and, and it really could be, <laughs> or it could be the Abyss too. I think well, we you know, we all agree that James Cameron is a little obsessed with water. I mean, one of my favorite quotes of the year is uh, there was some poor critic was talking to him, and they were like, you know, there's been 
a lot of like, you know, water cinema technology recently. Like what puts Avatar 2 apart from the most recent Black Panther or Aquaman? And he's like, well, for one, it actually looks good. And I'm like, James Cameron, (laughs) everything about the man makes me think I would hate him. But you watch Titanic and there's some about it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny because you said it feels like an event. And I think part of it's because how long has it been since the last one? 11 like, years. Like he, he takes like over a decade to make yeah. movies. Like, yeah. So. They're like, we'll just, he's like, if you give me a billion dollars in a decade, maybe. And they're like, okay. Maybe it'll happen. <laughs> yeah. And he, I think in an interview, he said recently, he's like got six more planned. And like, that's the end of like his movie making career. And it's like, yeah, we'll see. Comes we'll see. We'll see. That's 60 years from now, my friend. Like. <laughs> well, I'm sitting here and like, I never know. I'm terrible at predicting box office for someone who cares so much about it. I'm terrible at the game. And so I'm sitting here. I'm like, I don't particularly like I I'm not like an avatar stan like I saw it in theaters when it came out and I was like whoa crazy but I was in high school like it was a lifetime ago (laughs) I don't like revisit it I mean I know there's a lot of jokes about like oh no one remembers anyone you know from any plot point from avatar and I'm like well it's Pocahontas it's not that difficult yes but (laughs) but this whole time that this movie was quote unquote coming out, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a disaster. They put all this money into it. And there's no way people still care about Avatar characters. And then the second like that trailer drops, I'm like, well, yeah, I'll see it on opening night. But I don't hold myself to the standard normal people should. <laughs> I mean, like, it's hard to know because it's the, the classic thing. The movie is long enough that it keeps the number of showings down. However... That is counterbalanced by the fact that, I mean, there's a Whitney Houston biopic and a Puss in Boots cartoon. Yeah. It's going to take over everything. It's almost (laughs) like everybody just knew to get out of the way. It's weird. I mean, I I mean, I do feel like they probably did know to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. To be fair, this has been on the calendar since it was delayed the third time or whatever for the past year and a half. There's, I mean, you know, we're going to talk about it, but. The big Marvel was a few weeks ago. There's not a Star mm-hmm. Wars, you know, like it's, it's I, I'm sitting here after this. I'm like, what do I need to see after that? Like Babylon? I don't think those are comparing. Right. Well, and I didn't know. I hadn't really been paying attention uh, to the box office stuff. But the story bubbled up over the over, up to the surface the other day that Black Adam is going to lose money. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, box office wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which really explains the HBO Max, guys. That's Been on POVOD for like two weeks. Come on. Yeah. Um, I, I have. I'm trying to that money. So. I have a lot of opinions <laughs> on. I uh, still this, haven't seen it. This, so. Oh, not Black Adam. I have oh. zero oh. opinions about Black Adam. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I did see it. No opinions. No, no uh, Henry Cable related things to say? I. I know he's there. I'm not saying so anything. Um, okay. I mean, it's no Witcher. That's all I'm saying. Anyway. Well, what is? I know. Oh, gosh. He looks so good. Anyway, not I'm important. Superman movie. Somebody recently said that the Witcher was especially created in a lab to torment bisexuals. And I think that that's true. Like, I mean, it's like you're, you're telling me if you went back to 10 year old me and you're like, imagine the most handsome man plays a like Legolas Aragorn lookalike. I'd be like, yeah, uh, there's a reason to live. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, no, I have no opinion on Black Adam, but I have a lot of opinions about the way that uh, studios are like releasing things right now. 
And I mean, I think like this whole move to HBO Max, put it on VOD, like I just feel like they're fumbling this at every corner. <laughs> I, I just want to just take a couple minutes because I think we have a couple minutes. Yeah, for this movie. I yes. Well, and that's the thing, right? Because Solo is an important film in terms of release strategy. It is the film that allegedly killed the Star Wars movie franchise. You know, previous to Solo's release, the plan was to release a Star Wars film a year. Episode 7, Episode 8, Rogue One were all billion-dollar franchises. In fact, if you take a billion away from The Force Awakens and give it to Solo, they have both made a billion dollars. That's <laughs> It made two billion. Yeah. The Rise of Skywalker. Made over a billion dollars. I, I mean, it just. I do feel like, and it, I'm, we're, we're, I'm jumping into a little bit my solo opinions, but I feel yeah. like solo. I think that solo hurt a little bit from Rogue One. I mm-hmm. like Rogue One, and I think it's all in all a better movie than Solo. Maybe that might be Wait, my take. No doubt. <laughs> that might well, be let's my talk take. about that. Let's move into segment two. Is this movie good? Which is our initial impressions of the film. Megan, is this movie good? I think this movie is serviceable. I think it's fine. I will You're not say the first person to describe a Star Wars movie as serviceable <laughs> on this. Oh, well, how podcast. would I know? The, that those episodes <laughs> haven't released yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think this movie is entertaining at its best and irolious at its worst. I am not a Star Wars, like, huge fan. I mean, I've seen all the Star Wars movies, I guess, now. I watched The Mandalorian. I'm behind on... There's a Boba Fett show. There's all sorts of shows now that I haven't watched. There's only so many hours in the day, people. Uh, so i remember when this was coming out i actually really liked and still do alden ehrenreich ehrenreich just because of uh one scene in the movie hail caesar which is another movie that is pretty take it or leave it but he's really excellent in it and so when he was cast in this i was like oh that like that should be fun it's a star wars and then i feel like the big news was the lord and miller attachment which ended up falling through and i feel like you can really feel that in this movie it's there's some things that just don't feel like they add up to me some of the like you know action and stuff and general plot is fine but i just i can't like say this is a good movie when there's a scene where they're like han (laughs) dramatic pause solo (laughs) no last name and i'm like oh (laughs) jesus so I mean, I think Ron Howard has made a lot of films that people would call serviceable as well. So, like there is like kind of a Ron Howard quality. To My mom's film. favorite director, right, I mean, uh, which says director. everything about him as a director. Yeah. <laughs> My mom's like, I really like that Rush movie. And I'm like, okay. You know what would have been really great is if there's a special cut of this movie where, you know, like Han Solo says, I have a really good feeling about this. Ron Howard. He shouldn't have. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah just. I mean, the, some... to, Tobias, there's a Tobias in it. I you mean, didn't even put that knew. together. <laughs> this could be an arrested development, like, 
Star Wars films. So, like, it doesn't even require a lot. <laughs> I want you to just think about that for a minute. I, I will think about that. Sam, is this a good movie? <laughs> uh, I mean, what? Okay. It depends. <laughs> it's a good movie. Okay, listen. If you went into this movie thinking it better be as good as some of the movies in the sequel trilogy, well, first of all, it's better. So, ah, there's that. Second of all, if you went in thinking that it was supposed to be an original trilogy movie, you're judging its good or badness on a completely incorrect scale. The problem is every single Marvel movie is an event film in its own way. And I don't think the way that they made this, it could ever stand alone. Like, it's it's just too tied into everything else it has to allude to. Right, and that's true. And I don't think... I don't find that to be problematic. What I do find problematic is the expectation game. You could have a low-budget horror movie in the Star Wars universe. It could be good, but I guarantee you it will not make a billion dollars. The Star Wars universe has something going for it that Marvel does not. Uh, Well, DC might, but that's because they're not doing really good work. But, you know. DC could be anything at this point. They just need to do something new. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) you can tell pretty early on this is supposed to be a different movie it doesn't have an opening crawl but Megan as you pointed out it does reference the original trilogy and it's tied to that and they made sure to do that by including uh, nods to the Millennium Falcon theme which is really the rebel fanfare the main Star Wars theme the asteroid field Stuff from the score from Empire Strikes Back. And that's neat. I like it. I don't... It is serviceable. It is fine. I mean, I know the expectations are part of the problem, but I do Mm -hmm. feel like you're setting yourself up. I mean, I don't want to be a person who's acting like, okay, well, we have to think about what the Star Wars fans say, because on a whole... Maybe not the best people. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I was very worried about uh, recording this. About I was going to say, coming from say. someone who has had Star Wars opinions on the internet, I I, I was risky doing this. Um, but uh, yeah, this is a safe place. Um, but I do. I feel like it's tough. Like I think one of the things that, and I, I I'm not going to keep talking about Rogue One because I haven't seen it as recently. But it's not like they're these iconic characters that mm-hmm. everyone has such an emotional tie to, you know, what they're going to act like, how they're going to be. I don't think that should be the only barometer of which a movie is rated. I think Alden Ehrenreich and, you know, Donald Glover are really good and fun in this. But at the end of the day, it's impossible not to be like, mm, would Han Solo do that, though? The Han Solo that I know, right. the Han Solo that I've thought about since the 1970s, you know, it's you're, you're in a tough situation no matter what. This movie would have been better without Han Solo. Yes, agreed. <laughs> I mean, you could even keep Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian, which is just magical. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. For, but, but as, as you may not know, Megan, but you're about to. But everybody else knows already, I love Empress Nest. Yes. I, the fact that we haven't had 12 movies, TV series, novels, additional media about her yet <laughs> is really the true tragedy of this film. I mean, even if this was like the, you know, um, Woody Harrelson crew to Empress mm-hmm. Nest, 
if that whole story was exactly the same, you could have Kira, Paul Bettany, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. And I think it works better because, I mean, I feel like after, and maybe I'm misremembering, but after this movie came out, everyone's just like, well, no, Han Solo is a reluctant, like, rebel. Like, he wouldn't mm-hmm. be, like, doing X, Y, Z. He wouldn't be doing this, this, this. And, like, the argument was, oh, well, you know, he was young. He had, like, yada, yada. He was more hopeful and optimistic. But it, I just feel like the fact that it's Han Solo really just distracts from everything else. <laughs> I think Han is the least interesting character in this film. And, like, we can get into it when we do our deeper dive. I did want to point out because fandom did come up in this conversation that part of a lot of people think that part of the reason it did so badly at the box office is because there was a concerted effort by a lot of fans that were men to say bad uh, fans, bad fans, yeah, bad fans (laughs) to boycott the film and they uh, review bombed it on Rotten Tomatoes. And the funny part is, is that it wasn't even about this film. Like it was about, trying to get Kathleen Kennedy fired um, mm-hmm. because they saw her as like a social justice warrior who was ruining Star Wars. So like, I feel like personally, I actually really enjoyed this movie. Again, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a good movie, but especially in the context of the prequels, which we just watched, nothing that this movie does in terms of uh, referencing the original trilogy is any more egregious than what Lucas was doing in the prequel films as well. So it doesn't bother me as much because I'm like, oh, well, Lucas did this. So well, that's like, the other thing. Someone else do this. I'm not precious about Star Wars because I'm not as big of a fan as a lot of people are. So I recognize that, you know, I'm sure there are some things where I'm like, if they were like making a prequel, I would have a lot of opinions about. But right. this just is one for me. So I just watch this and I'm like, I don't know. I thought some of the stuff, some of the references were a little too on the nose for me. But that's just because there, that's there where I'm coming from. That are too much like wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Not, not. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't as bad as I think a lot of people made it out to be. And I think there was a lot of bad press about this film that wasn't necessarily earned by the film itself. Right. And I do feel like when I look, when I watch this movie, I was like, what's like my biggest takeaway from this? And I really do feel like it's it feels like they didn't have a clear picture of what it was going to be. And I feel like you can blame that literally on the, you know, director swap over in the middle of production or whatever. Because there are like some jokes that feel very Lord Miller, but then there are some things that feel just like so Ron Howard. And I'm like, I'm not against like a good Ron Howard movie, but this like ping-ponging back and forth is giving me a little bit of whiplash. Let's get into segment three, but really, is it good, where we deep dive on specific topics. And the first question I wanted to ask, because one of the things I actually do think works really well about this film is that in the film franchise, this is really the first time that we've seen a turn into a very clear genre of film, which is like a crime heist story. We've seen like elements of that in other parts of Star Wars, but this is the first time, and I've been wanting Star Wars to do this forever. Like, yeah, make a horror film in Star Wars. Like, make make your genre films. I'm ready for it. Make a romance film. Like, I'm ready for it. So the first question I have is, is this a good heist film? Is it a good crime film in and of itself? If we take away like some of the more Star Wars elements of it. So the one thing I will say is The Rise of Skywalker is a romance. Uh, there's a It ends with a kiss. Uh, number two. <laughs> I mean, like, I hate romance if that's true. (laughs) Just kidding. Are you telling me? I think on that level, it is because that's the part of this movie that I think works and is fun. 
Uh, am I a sucker for like, let's get a crew together? Yeah. And if that crew involves, you know, Donald Glover in capes, then yeah, I'm having a good time. <laughs> Phoebe Waller-Bridge robot? Yeah, sure. We're like, you know, and even like, that's when the stuff where I'm like, there is an inherent cheesiness to Star Wars. Like, I'm not ignoring that. I'm not going into this being like, well, I want a dark and gritty Star Wars movie, you know? I right. when they're like oh the this beast yeah oh the beast and it's chewy I'm like ah chewy great to see you so <laughs> there are elements of it that I was happy about yeah so I think as a heist I was happy with the heist Sam what do you think about the crime elements of this first of all if you can speak Wookie don't you know how old they can get <laughs> we, uh, I you don't know, know. I, we could I, we could I pick it apart all day <laughs> also I. After watching this, I understand this is a new thing for the the movie, and it doesn't bother me, but I did have this moment where I was like, what if Harrison Ford did this? Like, what if he, like, spoke Wookiee, like, at some point? Like, it was a very fun <laughs> mental image. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that, like, I think hurts this movie, is I'm sitting here, and almost anything Alden Ehrenreich does, I'm like, can I picture Harrison Ford doing this? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. He's well, not He's not game. <laughs> <laughs> in the same way <laughs> i don't want to talk about the genre thing at all there's so many other things i want to talk about so i'll try to just talk about the genre thing okay yes sir. um uh no so you don't like the crime elements no you asked me if it was a good heist film oh, i don't I think see. the answer is yes i think it's serviceable well first of all it's like oh the oldest heist film is the great train robbery ipso facto we must do a train robbery Weird choice, but okay. And if you say that to me, they're like, it was a fact that we must do a train robbery. Like the Fast and Furious brain in me is like, yeah, of course. That's a Fast Five. Go for it. Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) So, I mean, the thing is, there are two heists in this movie. The first one is not good. The Kessel one, better. And so you put those two things together and it's it's not great. I think they, they could have done without the, the train sequence. They could have accomplished the plot beats they needed without that. I'm not sure. That's one of my complaints with this movie is like when we're thinking plot beats to get to XYZ, like the only place that we know this ends is where Star Wars picks up. So basically we have to take the where we're where they're saying Han Solo is beginning and the whole time you're going well I know he becomes jaded he becomes the pilot of the Millennium Falcon and he becomes you know a, a smuggler and so you're sitting there and you're like don't get me wrong we all watch biopics and we know how things end and how things go but it does always it, it can rub me where I'm like okay well we're putting together all of these roadblocks to get to where we need to be but it doesn't seem as exciting and new because I know where we're going. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's exactly the issue. So I mentioned before the big issue with these earlier films, and by earlier films, I mean films that were made later but take place before the original trilogy, is the way that the canon gets built out in this universe. And it's happening with, with The Mandalorian because that's actually now between you know things that came out both before it all things that came out before it is the fact that you're backfilling canon. You're, you're trying to explain things that already exist and you're trying to give us context for that. And the question is, do you need to do that? And I think most people have said the answer is no when it comes to Han Solo, which by the way, 
there's a trilogy of uh, legend novels, the non-canonical novels that do this and are pretty good. Should they make a Star Wars heist film? Absolutely they should. So that seems like the issue. If it was a heist film, it'd probably be fine. The fact that it's an origin story we probably didn't need and a heist film is probably one and a half things too many. Well, I love what Megan said earlier about like if you took Han out of this and you just had like Tobias Beckett, Woody Harrelson's character, who who let's just be honest, it's Woody Harrelson in space. Like there's not a lot going on. That's his whole thing. What more do you need? (laughs) If it was just him, like with his, you know, putting together a team and you had the crime boss and you had Kira and like, you know, I think that this would have been a better heist film. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the magic of Han Solo comes from him being a side character. He's not Luke Skywalker for a reason. He like doesn't have chosen one energy. (laughs) That's not his job. (laughs) He has Harrison Ford showed up to get a paycheck. Yeah, (laughs) right. Well, and he's had that energy since the seventies. Which is great. I mean, it's good energy for Han Solo. But that is the thing that like inherently cuts this movie down. It's I'm like you've never seen or you've never seen Harrison Ford play this character in any sort of earnest way. Even when he's being serious, he's like undercutting it by being Harrison Ford. So you're watching this and you're like, there's just something too earnest about this young guy who believes in love and getting out of this, you know, Corellia. <laughs> but in the last week and a half, we've seen Harrison Ford taking on an iconic character of his at a very advanced age. It's not like he won't do it. What I said to Tessa earlier today is the better use of Han Solo and a better sequel trilogy move. Let's not do a prequel. Let's not kill him in The Force Awakens already. Let's have him be a role model or a father for Rey. Rey could have my two dads. But isn't that but isn't that just like the the classic Harrison Ford thing is he's like, I'm only coming back if you kill me so I can be free of this. And so then you're sitting there and you're like, how can I, as an audience member, know that that's the energy this man is bringing to this series and believe that Alden Ehrenreich's going to run around and do all this nonsense. So, of course, Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca has been replaced at this point by uh, Junis Suatamo. Oh, Yes. He took over for Peter Mayhew. Uh, He did some of his stand-in stunt work in The Force Awakens and then took over full-time after that. And I just really feel like Peter Mayhew should have pulled Harrison Ford aside and said, listen, dude, people who are tall like me don't age well. I'm still here. What's your excuse? I think the difference is is that Harrison Ford has made it very clear that he loves Indiana Jones but has ambivalent feelings about Star Wars. So I Who is think he, that, Alec Guinness? No, I think that's the real crux of the issue. I agree as a plot point, it would have been better for him to survive The Force Awakens, which we can talk about when we get to The Force Awakens. But <laughs> I this is just already... don't think Harrison Ford is interested. In <laughs> I just movie. love the... This is how every conversation with me about a movie goes. <laughs> it, is, it derails completely and ends up with me yelling about corporations. Because if Disney wasn't <laughs> the way that it was, maybe it wouldn't be so That's businessy. Making decisions based on who they can book and how much money they got. No, I'm just kidding. But I do feel that way. <laughs> so the, the re- recast, though, that everyone seems to really love is 
Donald Glover as Lando. Oh, yeah, come Um, on. He's pretty universally praised for this performance, and he really leans into the pansexual Lando. That role is like a feast, though. He doesn't have to do anything except for come in, be charming and sexy. Like, that is not (laughs) something that everyone can do, but Donald Glover can. (laughs) He's not trying to be Billy Dee Williams. But he's got that smile. Yeah. Like, like, it's like he's very effortlessly making the role his own, but having these like little callbacks yeah. you know, to that particular character. But also Lando's not as big of a character as Han Solo. So he can kind of True. make it his own thing a little bit and skew the canon to his favor in a way that someone playing Han Solo, who is about to be on screen for a full 160 minutes, can't do. <laughs> Yeah, and and by the way, I just really quickly, Billy D. Williams was the spokesperson for Colt Forty Five Malt Liquor. <laughs> I don't want anyone to think that Donald Glover is doing something revolutionary here. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Billy D. Williams was great at what he did. I, I wasn't <laughs> saying anything. I no, think Billy just... D. Williams is great. I just I think it's very funny that this performance is the one that people are like, yes, but keep him. We, but, we could we could have our heist film without Han and Chewie, but keep Lando. But it's also like then it it all gets tied back into like the social justice warrior thing because then the thing that people point out is like not liking is like, oh, the woke droid and Infus Ness, which is, you know, obviously, <laughs> yeah you know, paralleled to life in a lot of ways. So I do feel like there was almost like a safe aspect of being like the thing that everyone can agree on is that Donald Glover is smooth. And we're like, yeah, I think we can't agree on that. I saw someone refer to him online as childish Lambino, which I think is great. <laughs> By the way, Empress Nest is coming after all of your beloved pop culture. You like Marvel? She's coming for it. <laughs> you like Willow, I guess? She's coming for it. She's great. She's I mean, a cheap- the Green Knight, too. Well, um, the fanboys don't really care about. Yeah, but she they was should. Also anonymous. Great in that. Excellent yeah. movie. Dev Patel, hoo wee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of smooth, <laughs> <laughs> he could have done this role. <laughs> I, yeah, but but here's the thing though, and and I think the thing about Donald Glover, people are very. I know this is weird. People are opinionated about Star Wars. I didn't know if you knew on that. the internet. <laughs> on the, <laughs> Yes. And I know you think more rational discourse happens on the internet than in the real world, but I'm here to tell you with Star Wars, it's not true. So the the discussion is, how do you feel about recasts? And I mean, at some point, you're going to have to recast or de-age if you want to tell the stories, some of the stories that, frankly, I want Disney to tell, and, you know, and other people do as well. See, that might be my disagree. That might be where I disagree. I don't know if I need it. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, maybe not. Although I will convince you a little bit later that it is absolutely necessary. <laughs> don't worry. I got you back. <laughs> Donald Glover is... I don't know that many people are going to go to the mat saying Donald Glover did a bad job of Anything? being Lando. Cal- well, yeah. I mean, exactly. That's the point. <laughs> I'd like to um, give him a kiss if he wanted. <laughs> I don't have a problem without an Aaron Reich if we need him to be a young Solo. I, uh, uh, Chewie's been recast. You might never know it. That's fine. I, I really want to ask this question while we're talking about recasts. And I know we'll talk about it later. 
do we want Bucky Barnes and 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 little Leia to be Luke and Leia? I mean, like, should we just recast the whole bunch and be like, anytime that they're here, we're gonna bring them in? I like the idea. I do. I think that I think that it's good. I mean, Ewan's clearly down. I mean, that's the thing. He is the model for this. Ewan's like, you want me to do Ben Kenobi? I'm here. And so is Hayden Christensen, actually, right. yeah. too. Oh, yeah. I mean, he is technically a recast as well. Oh, is, right? is he so, available or is he? He was in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was kidding. Well, it was a joke that he's not very though, booked. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Just wait till he gets his turn as Batman. Okay. <laughs> then you're gonna Any see. day now. <laughs> then you will see. I have two things. First of all, our producer Ryan is pointing out that Billy has already played Leia in The Rise of Skywalker. Yes, uh, Billy Lord does do some Leia work in Rise of Skywalker. I'm sorry, Ryan. Also, I will say, and we've talked, we've like mentioned this and like danced around it a little bit before, but like Star Wars is also a franchise that is notorious for ruining people's careers or at least like taking up so much oxygen around their careers that it's hard for them to like do anything afterwards. I think Harrison Ford is one of the really notable exceptions to that. I mean, because if you think about Mark Hamill, like he's gone on to have a really good voice acting career, but there's not a lot of like live action roles with Mark Hamill in it. Um, and so you could you can look at Jake Lloyd for an example. Um, you can look at Hayden Christensen. And, Natalie Portman. I mean, Natalie never Portman, did I guess, is another Portman. example. She never did really anything well, she after. she was an established no. actor before <laughs> this. And so, you know, there's all of these different things going on. You might know this answer to this question more than I do, Megan, but what is uh, Aaron Reich doing now? I was under the impression that he had also kind of fallen under the Star Wars curse. Pretty much. I just saw he was in a trailer just the other day, and I was like, oh my gosh, where have you been? But I do feel like he took a lot of the brunt for this, which I felt almost going into this that that was going to be the case. I mean, you know, yeah. it's playing a character like that, I feel like is a pretty impossible ask. And yeah, yeah, he's on TV, which is not the, you know, kiss of death it used to be, but, you know, right. it's not Star but, Wars. Yeah, I, <laughs> I do feel for him because I do feel like there is a sense in which it's not necessarily Disney's fault because it also happened before Disney acquired Star Wars. But there is a sense that, like, this franchise actually does owe some actors a lot because of the what it's done to their careers. And I feel like Aaron Reich is one of them. And you know what? While Disney's paying people out, I've actually taken a lot of heat on the Internet about this. So I'd take a check, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll also take some yeah, money. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> So the other thing that I find interesting about this film, and we're going to talk about some of the ancillary material around this film later, some of the television and so on, but this is also the first film, chronologically, I should say, and I think it's one of the only films actually in the franchise that is very much a gray film. Like we talked last time, we talked in the last episode about how Star Wars is usually about binaries and like kind of where you are between those binaries and you have to choose between light and dark and there's all these high stakes, you know, to, to for the the future of the galaxy and like all of the main characters are very political, they're all very upper echelon. We're talking senators, we're talking Jedi, we're talking supreme chancellors and emperors and all of that stuff. This is a film about characters who are none of those things. <laughs> none of the characters are light or dark because they simply can't be. They can't exist within that binary. They have to survive the events that are happening to them. It's not about politics. It's not about who has control of the galaxy. It's not about, you know, I mean, there's a little bit of that at the end, but it's very tangential to what's going on with these characters. And 
this is something that the television shows or some of the television shows had already started to broach, especially under Filoni. But this is really the first time that I had seen it in film. What do you think about the grayness of this film, I guess is like the technical term. Yeah. And I like that aspect of it. I feel like that, that they're leaning into, I mean, and again, this might be sacrilege to people who are, you know, deep Star Wars fans, but I feel like that adds a depth to the world. It adds more kind of realness, like, you know, things aren't as clear cut as black and white in most people's everyday. Most people don't have the luxury of, you know, having the power to actually, you know, enact big changes with the drop of a hat in a council meeting, you know, one day. So I like that aspect of it, but I think it just, if this was a movie about characters we had never heard of before, getting caught up in something that's out of their league and ending up, you know, in the situation that these characters end up in, then I think that's more fun than us sitting here going, well, yeah, inevitably, this guy's gonna, you know, be the face of a revolution. (laughs) Right. So I think that's difficult. Also, going back to the thing, uh, the trailer I saw Alden Ehrenreich in is a uh, cocaine bear. And if you haven't seen the trailer for Cocaine, cocaine bear, bear, you gotta watch cocaine it. Cocaine bear? <laughs> oh my have god. You, have you heard about Cocaine Bear? Have you seen the trailer? Yes, I haven't okay. seen the trailer, but I am aware what of What in the Ray Liotta is Yeah, <laughs> He's in Cocaine Bear. I made the joke the other day that like everybody's doing franchises except Universal, who's just yeah. like, whatever. No, I, saw, stuff at I saw a tweet about that. They're like, Jordan Peele movies and Cocaine Bear. And I'm like, you know what, Universal? <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Hard to argue. Sam, what do you think about the grayness of this film? Well, I mean, you know, Darth Maul shows up at the end. Right. And he's not gray at all. He's like black and red. It's true. (laughs) What's really evil and black and red all over? Oh, it's Darth Maul. (laughs) Do you want to tell the story of what happened at the theater when I first saw this? (laughs) Do you want me? Yes. Oh, I can go off. Okay. Here's Here's a tangent. So... Tessa Turner nose up at Clone Wars and Rebels. I just want to say that. And and uh, Tessa's sibling had had also tried to get Tessa to watch Clone Wars and Rebels, but but she wouldn't. She persisted in persisting to not watch these shows. So we get to the end of the movie. Darth Maul's there. Tessa says, Darth Maul's alive? Would have known that if you'd watched the Clone Wars and Rebels. And so then... You want to tell the rest of the story? Well, it was funny because that was Sam's exact response to me. You would know this if you'd watched Clone Wars and Rebels. And then I, mean, I messaged my sibling and was like, Darth Maul's alive? And they were like, you would know this if you watched <laughs> Clone Wars and Rebels. <laughs> so that is what finally convinced me to watch Clone Wars and Rebels. And I have to say, I was terribly wrong before. They are amazing. No one should turn their nose off. I'm with you. I don't think I'm better than Clone Wars and Rebels. Everyone I know who watches it is really into it. However... In a thing that I say more than I should, there's only so many hours in the day, and I'm doing my best. I am chugging through content at the highest pace I can, but some things you're just <laughs> not going to get to. <laughs> okay, but there is a point here. Yes. To go, to go back to the Darth Maul's in this movie. How gray can you get when Darth Maul's in the movie at some point? You're right, it's a cameo. But this film will never let you forget. Even in a... The unforceiest force person in the original trilogy has a movie. 
And it's still about the force somehow. Yeah. Well, that's the main that issue is a with this big movie. Problem for Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Can you? I I want to see you do it. I want to see you do a show or a movie where you don't say force one time. What about Andor? It has to come up at least once. I'm thinking, I've heard really good things about well, Andor. And, but but you know what? If it doesn't. I believe I've proven my point. That's true. Andor because is that's quite Because everyone loves it. Andor, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but that's exactly the point, though, is that they, they just couldn't help themselves. And I mean, like, they couldn't help themselves with a lot of things. Lando has sex with a droid. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I believe that. That's Fine. like the least unbelievable thing. I think in 2022, people have had sex with droids. <laughs> right. I mean, this isn't that outrageous. <laughs> You can go over the top. You can go over. <laughs> it is Star Wars after all. It'd be weird if you didn't. And I mean, so that's the thing. Like, it, it, it is a gray film, but they really tried hard to not do that. They tried really hard to get in their own way. And it's, if it's one thing that Disney and Star Wars are super good at, it is getting in their own way. I think with Marvel, that's too, right? I think the same can be said with a lot of... It's all I've been saying for the past like month is people are like, what'd you think of Wakanda Forever? And I was like, I thought it was good, but it's just so much Marvel crap they got to scoot in there now. So I'm standing here going, does Julia Louis-Dreyfus need to be here? No, they're just setting up whatever next nonsense it's going to be. Right. More like, more like Wakanda, this movie lasted forever. Am I right? Jeez. Oh, you could give some of that runtime to Thor and we could see Natalie Portman some more. Oh. Just saying. Speaking of. Natalie Portman. Wait, I thought she didn't even have a career after Star Wars. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. I must be thinking about Kit. Nope. She was in that too. Rose Byrne? Mm. Oh, my God. <laughs> Big fan. So, Sophia Coppola had no acting career after true. the Phantom Absolutely Menace. Not. Let's, not, let's not pretend that's because. <laughs> <laughs> the person that I think is most interesting when it comes to this gray like aspect of the film, and this might just be because we wrapped up November, and so I'm like seeing noir everywhere. But it is, of course, Kira. I think her character is very interesting because out of all the characters, she seems to understand like the practicality of making different choices, staying alive in certain ways. Like you have to do what you have to do. She is sort of this burgeoning crime boss, right? She makes, she's making moves in this movie, right? To become leader of the Crimson Dawn. She is in great noir tradition, a femme fatale. And you can see this very clearly in the lighting at the end when she contacts Maul and the blinds go down and you can see all those lines over her face, which is like a very classic noir lighting situation. You could also tell she's a femme fatale because she had like winged liner. Um. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the long black dress. Yes. Yeah. I like her as a character given the, given the situation that we have. I thought she did well, Amelia Clark who is, you know, someone who I, I'm not always, like, a massive Amelia Clark fan, I guess. I watch, I don't know. I mean, I have a complicated relationship with Game of Thrones. Anyway, <laughs> we're not getting into that today. We've done enough tangents. Don't we all? <laughs> but... The other, the other thing that people yell about on the internet. <laughs> and everyone's, again, really chill about it. Uh, <laughs> but I, I like how you said like you can see the decisions that she makes and why she would make them and I think a lot of that can be tied more to reality of like you know someone in her position who is left in the situation that she was left in completely alone getting to the point where she's like 
trying to kind of regain the power in her life and outside of her immediate control. I don't know. I don't really have any complaints, but I didn't leave this movie and was like, oh, wow, killer performance. What a character. What a new original (laughs) character I have to hear more from. (laughs) I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for the... um... It's Crimson Dawn, right? Yes. I keep thinking Red Dawn, and I'm like, no, that's different. That's that's Different movie. (laughs) Although, that's pretty Order 66 adjacent right there. But anyway, I am waiting for the Crimson Dawn show, movie, thing, whatever. Because the other problem with this movie is that we got two different offshoots teased in this, both of which are substantively better than this movie. Crimson Dawn... And Emphis Nest, I want those. I want both of those. I I said that when I said that when we walked out of the theater. Because you just gave me two things that are interesting. And then you never gave them to me because this movie didn't make enough money for you. That's the thing. I'm like, I agree that those would be more interesting than this, but now they're forever tied to I mean, they were just soft launching these ideas, putting it behind something that they thought was a sure thing. Well, yeah, and that's true. But, you know, do I think that Amelia Clark can do a Star War? Absolutely, I do. So, I mean, that's that's my take on, on Kira. I think Kira is interesting. There is more sex hinted at, the, in, at, in, hinted at in this movie than there are any other Star Wars vehicles. I mean, that's a good Lando's thing there, about so this movie. But, <laughs> but, you know, they won't say it. Because they want to protect the rating. They want to protect the brand. Yeah. Another thing me and Disney have beef about. <laughs> There's a pretty dark story in here. You know, what, you know, Megan, you mentioned what Kira had to do. Well, we know what part of that was for sure. It, it would be so gratifying in some ways to see a not dark force user, not a dark side user, just somebody who had bad shit happen and had trauma. And what makes somebody who's not a goddamn Sith be evil in this universe? And I think she could pull that off, too. I, 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 I think this is really good proof of concept for this character. I'm disappointed we haven't seen her again. I know she exists in, uh, she exists in the comics right now, but I'm, I think it's a waste. I, I just felt really good about her character because she can go to some of those darker places that I, George Lucas, for example, threatened to give us a television series about uh, Coruscant below decks. <laughs> it was really going to get us into the seedier side. Nobody, can, Nobody's made good on it yet, though. And this was like yet another of that. And I, once again, I think Amelia Clark could do it. I think at the end of the day, I was probably the worst guest to have on here. <laughs> Because, uh, like, I don't think that's true. I, I do. I feel like I, at some point in my life, like, got so desensitized from like caring about these things, like being precious about like my TV shows or my trilogies, and I was just like, all I want is for someone to make something that like feels good and makes me feel something again in the same way that (laughs) other things used to make me feel and i get it i'm asking a lot they just want to make a nice star wars movie with the characters that we love and have a good time but i I just want something to be freaking good 
So I'm not sitting here watching these movies and being like, oh, that could be interesting. Oh, that could be interesting. There's a million other interesting things they could do with these characters. <laughs> and somehow they've chosen to do the safest, most boring shit. And I, I think, again, like it goes back to Ron Howard, who is not a director known for pushing the envelope yeah. in these ways, despite the fact that we do see like nudity of Chris Hemsworth in Rush. Right. Like that was his like edgiest thing right. that he ever did. So is that really edgy at this point? <laughs> <laughs> Just that one particular. It, OK, here's the thing. I do feel like I've we, seen we, we Chris talk... Hemsworth's butt a lot recently. That's I'm not I'm complaining. <laughs> Let it be known. <laughs> so Ryan talked yesterday about growing up during the Star Wars renaissance. He specifically mentioned growing up just after the dark times when there were no Star Wars. And you grow up in a time with the special editions and the prequels. I grew up in those dark times, as I said yesterday. I grew up when there was no Star Wars, no new Star Wars. The first new Star Wars we got after 83, well, I mean, there was some droid stuff and an Ewok movie, but, you know, less said, probably better. But when when George Lucas let Timothy Zahn write the new trilogy of books with Grand Admiral Thrawn, that was a big deal. I, I, I'm thinking about what you said, Megan, and like, I completely get it. I was going to say, so maybe I'm just jaded because I'm sitting here thinking, as a kid, what was I the most like passionate yeah. about? And for me, it was, you know, Harry Potter. We're putting the terrible author mm. aside and pretending she doesn't exist. Well, we didn't what know did she was terrible it? when you were a child. True. So. I was <laughs> right. I was young and we didn't know because Twitter wasn't a thing. Uh, and so anyway, I was young. That was my that was my thing. I think even if you take outside my obvious, you know, uh, complicated feelings towards harry potter now if they announced another show right now again probably because i'm so jaded i'd be like don't do this like yeah. I, I i don't do this <laughs> i don't and think i do think it's nonsense when people are like oh this is gonna like ruin my relationship with the right. previous things because like i can still look back fondly and be like when those seven books came out they were the most important thing in the world to me and there is something beautiful about that part of my life but now I feel like at the point where it's just maybe it's the culture that everything that then comes from this is so mediocre. I'm sitting here and I'm like, I don't want to watch something that I feel so passionate about be mediocre. And so I understand why people on the Internet feel this way, mostly in bad faith for them. But yeah. I, am I protecting myself from that by not thinking of all the possible cool things they could do? Probably. <laughs> my, my favorite thing and this actually does come from my mom i will say is the movies are like pizza there's really good pizza out there but even not really good pizza is still pizza and that's something yeah and i do feel that way about star wars there was a time where i thought any star wars would be good star wars now i will say if you put motor oil and beetles on a pizza it will not be a good pizza <laughs> right but so I totally get the jaded thing. I really do. And in fact, having watched Revenge of the Sith again and really just having to deal with how how sad that makes me, I may be coming closer to your position, which again, I, I fully appreciate. But but I still, as much as when I hear the news that they're doing XYZ, I still 
there's just that part of me that's like, oh, I hope it's good. You know, like I hope they do something yeah. crazy and I hope it's excellent. And I spent the last 11 years talking crap about Avatar, just like everyone did. But I'm going to be there on Thursday and there's going to be a part yeah. of me that wants it to be amazing because all I ever want to do is see a freaking good movie. It's my favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> this is how I feel about Star Trek, especially Picard. <laughs> Every time they release a new season, I'm like, oh, it's going to be great. And then it's horrible. Unlike this third one, I was like, it's going to be bad. And then they announced what the third one was going to be. And I was like, I can't believe they're just doing another season of The Next Generation because they're having all the people back. And then I watched the trailer and I was like, don't do this to me. Yeah. Don't make me love this. <laughs> and it does feel like, I mean, again, like for me, it's not as much with Star Wars. But when you think about all the television shows and properties and stuff, like, a lot of people have put a lot, invested a lot into these movies and these franchises, you know, with TV shows, books and everything. And so you automatically feel a sense of ownership of it, undeserved, but you feel like a lot of, <laughs> maybe this is just me, your mental health rests on how this goes. I mean, and maybe that's because I'm like a person in my friend group who my friends are always going to ask about a movie. So if I see a movie that I know everyone's going to be talking about and it's bad, I'm like, oh, I have to go through a whole holiday season talking about how I don't like Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, it's not fair. <laughs> that movie wasn't fair. It wasn't fair it wasn't that we had fair. to watch it. It wasn't fair. And every aunt and uncle I've ever had wanted to ask my opinion. <laughs> It wasn't fair that it wasn't the worst movie nominated for Best Picture that year. Oh, That's also not yeah. fair. It's also not fair that a Fairly brother got to make a movie after there's something about Mary. There's a lot of things that weren't there's fair a lot. That, year. that was a really bad year. And then to turn around and have like Parasite win, I've never had, I've never felt so much whiplash. Uh, but the Oscars Which was also not a good movie. I, okay, we disagree. Uh, <laughs> just blanket you statement. We it. disagree. You didn't like Parasite? No whiplash. Oh, oh whiplash. whiplash! I thought I you were saying Parasite. you didn't like Parasite. Yeah, yes, that's that's, that's on me. Yeah, I, um, okay. I like whiplash, I but I'm not going to go to the map for said it. Parasite was bad. It's very important. Yes. To clarify Thank you for clarifying. That. I'm not going to the map for whiplash. <laughs> I did not coin this term, but I think we could sum up kind of the conversation that we're having here with this idea of a lot of times people fall in love with pop culture and that's great, but it's important to know that pop culture can never love you back. Like that's just not it's a toxic relationship. I know I'm in it. And I think <laughs> a lot of people when they get their hard opinions, you know, and their feelings online about Star Wars or Star Trek or Harry Potter or whatever, it a lot of times come, comes from this place where they feel betrayed and they it's not a healthy relationship to feel like you are loved by something that is not, it can't inherently. And I do feel person. like, I can't believe I went into this thinking I wasn't going to have much to say. Who am I? Um, <laughs> but it also, to me, comes back to, and I understand that this is an inherent part of movie making, but like the corporate Disneyfication you know, Disney's not sitting down in an office going, you know what's a bankable idea? Emphis Ness. You've never heard of them, and here they are now. So they're like, well, that would be cool, but let's try this first. And then they give you the most white bread thing with like 
some sprinkles of emphasis and you're like, okay, that thing is cooler, but now I, it's almost, it's all ruined because you guys just thought that the safest bet was the best move. Okay, two things. Sorry. <laughs> you need to watch Andor because it's not safe. Yeah. I've heard incredible things about Andor. I was waiting for it to all come out so I could just have a weekend, you know? Yes. Yes. I feel like you would actually, if you're, if you're looking for something that's not safe and actually has something to say, that's it. And I think that's why people like it. Although I have to say the Andor discourse online is so fucking tiring. Who could have seen like, that coming? Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's one of the reasons I was waiting. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. And that's what makes it worse. Yeah. <laughs> The second thing, though, is since we're talking about Envis Nest, let, let's talk about her and her look, which Sam pointed this out to me. And I I don't know if I just didn't notice it like when I was watching it in the movie theater, but it was very obvious to me when we watched it this time. Sam, do you want to talk about yeah, Envis Nest's look? I do. So I'm going to start with Robot Chicken. Okay. <laughs> because, oh. <laughs> I mean, the best thing that Seth Green has ever done is the sketch of Emperor Palpatine getting a call from Darth Vader after the destruction of the first Death Star. And there's a part where he's like, do you know how much a Death Star will cost? Do you have an ATM in that torso light bright of yours? So you have to understand Darth Vader is torso light bright, right? And so when I saw it, I I wasn't really, it it didn't really kind of like occur to me until that final confrontation, you know, where she's standing there toward the end of the movie facing off against solo squad. It's her squad and solo squad. And I was like, Oh my God, she has a DIY torso light bright. And that's what I call her. I, I call Kellyman, Aaron Kellyman. I call her DIY torso light bright. When we saw captain Bucky in the winter Falcon, (laughs) I said it was DIY torso light bright is in this. She was good in it too. She was the only good thing in and, it. And, She's uh, excellent. Uh, what a face. So expressive. Yeah. Ah. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> but I mean, the, the thing about it is, is that, that she is appropriating that because we find out she's a rebel. She is appropriating his symbol of, of power. And, and, and it's no wonder she's friends with Saw Gerrera because she is trying to take some of that power away by appropriating that look. Yeah, it's basically disidentification. Yeah, like sure. you take something that has power over you and you take it and sort of adopt it and twist it to your own needs. You guys and are so much more intelligent character... than me. I'm sitting here, I'm like, yeah, I'm like Batman. <laughs> it's called <laughs> learning vocabulary in grad school. It is not equal intelligence. I but like, recommend it. <laughs> oh, I'm not going to grad school, don't worry. <laughs> it's Batman, right? It's the I am a a young woman who doesn't look that scary, so I'm going to take the scariest thing I can think of, Vader, and I'm going to incorporate it into my look so people are more scared of me. And she even has like the voice modulator. Mm-hmm. Everything about her is sort of imitating that style, which I just I find that so fascinating that that's just something that's there. It's never addressed like her relationship with Vader or what she thinks about him. Or yeah, I had like never that. thought of that. That's interesting. The other thing that I wanted to note is, did you all see Warwick Davis actually outside of a costume as part of her squad? I just think it's weird that 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 grumpy looking guy in the Phantom Menace is, shows up again yeah. in <laughs> as her part squad. Of it's weird. Squad. 
There's there's probably like a, like ten people online who really ride or die for them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I and especially because uh, Aaron Kellyman is now on the Willow Television Show. We watched the first couple episodes of it. It's very good. It's, she gives the best look in a television show. Yeah, she like does. within the first two minutes of that first episode, it's like you just did a lot of work right there in one look. I didn't know you could do that on Disney. Yeah, it, it's also very <laughs> not safe in some ways. Uh, but yeah, it just feels it feels nice to see Warwick Davis, who's been part of the Star Wars universe for a long time, but is very rarely seen on screen without some kind of like he's usually a droid or a Murder Ewok bear. or something. And so it was really cool seeing him in an awesome outfit with, you know, someone who's going to be in a television show with him later. So that was really fun for me. The last thing that I wanted to say before we move on is the Millennium Falcon is apparently <laughs> alive. How do we feel about <laughs> the L- implications? L337. Journey? Her relationship with Lando? What does this mean in terms of. Han's relationship with the Millennium Falcon? Very much something that I remember watching this movie the first time. <laughs> like, charting that journey and being like, I'm just not processing this. Uh, <laughs> 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 like, I liked it uh, as a character arc. I think it's opens a lot more questions than it answers. <laughs> I mentioned to Ryan yesterday that uh, Star Wars is not really great about talking about the droids. Like, it doesn't actually know what it wants to say about them. This is the movie that comes close. It is. There is something so funny about, like, when things that are prequels are, like, more progressive in some ways. So I'm sitting here, I'm like, Han has, like, all these opinions. Like, Han has been with, like, a very sentient droid, you know? And then, like, and then, like, however many years later, whenever Star Wars is taking place, it's like, ah, just, you know, stack of junk. And I was like, you had a really good friend who was a droid, actually. Yeah, you, you actually, you're, the Falcon is special yeah. because there's, like, a navigational computer from a droid. All I can think about is don't let the Millennium Falcon near a fox. <laughs> Fleabag joke. <laughs> I, I. Would it kill you to have a Millennium Falcon fourth wall break? <laughs> so I'd watch that let that break your brain for a second. Yeah, this because what would that look like? It would have to be so know. panned out. How do you know? How do you know we haven't seen them? <laughs> Turns out the whole the whole during the entire original trilogy, there's like several fourth wall breaks from the Millennium Falcon. I these guys. I oh we can't God. we can't see them because we're not involved, we're not like just, intimate enough with the Millennium Falcon yet. Really quickly, we mentioned him in passing, but Vision is in this movie. Mm. Oh yeah, star of the of the romantic comedy Wimbledon. Oh, okay, love that pull. <laughs> It was a movie, and I had it in like a DVD set, and I also saw. <laughs> there is also uh, Tom Cruise's biggest fan, Tandiway Newton. Oh yeah, is also in this. I keep forgetting she was in this because it's such. You, a short you role. watched it today. I know it's such a quick thing. wife to the director of one of my favorite movies, Mamma Mia. Here we go again. <laughs> this movie had so many people in it. Like, how is it not better? All right. Meanwhile, somewhere that isn't Tatooine, because there are other places in the Star Wars universe. Megan, have you seen, you said you haven't seen Rebels, 
I assume you haven't seen Kenobi or The Bad Batch no. yet, right, either. We're just going to talk for a I've bit. I've seen Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't even going to watch that, but I, I saw Baby Yoda. I'm like, he's a star. Uh, <laughs> he is. But, yep. but you've seen Rogue One. I have seen Rogue One. Well, because I saw one- Rogue One in theaters when it was like, in theory, I, would, I could keep up with Star Wars. Now I'm so behind, it's, the problem has persisted. Sorry, continue. <laughs> so, you've seen Rogue One, so you know who Jyn Erso is. Now, what we find out from when you add Rogue One to Solo, and you take the Solo novelization, actually... When you put the two movies together, this makes complete sense. And the novelization does have it in there. Jen Erso is with Saw Gerrera during the events of this film. So the beginning, chronological beginning of Rogue One happens before this film. Where Jen Erso is supposedly orphaned. I mean, her father's not dead, but... The novelization of Solo has a scene with Emphis Nest meeting Jen Erso. I need that. I need much, much more of that. I need to see <laughs> that. I need I need to see Saw Gerrera. I need to see Forrest Whitaker get into it with this actor. That's what I need. I, I, I need a lot of this. Yeah, we got a little bit more in Andor with him, but not enough. Like, I, I want to see more Saw Gerrera for sure. But uh, the three things, we have three shows that sort of take place around this film so let's start with rebels so rebels is my favorite star wars television series like hands down i love the clone wars because it has more ahsoka in it but rebels as a show i think is just superior it has one of the best pilots that i've ever seen i think that it connects it has one of the best pilots and one of the best pilot episodes Get it? Those, yeah pilot episode. <laughs> i thought you were talking about the pilot episode and i was like mm, have you seen the oc uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but we're going to get to it one of these days. Any day yeah, now. <laughs> Rebels, I think, actually does hook up with Solo in some ways because it's another example of like smaller stories. Like there are like some higher stakes, like force stories in it because the main character, Ezra, is a force wielder. But for the most part, what this story is interested in is sort of this chosen family becoming involved in the rebellion. And a lot of it, it does have to do with survival. It does have to do with the fact that all of these people have had to do different things to survive. Um, It is a lot more gray than you would find in other Star Wars properties. So I do make those connections between the two. I do obviously think it's a lot better than Solo, mainly because almost all of the characters are completely new to that show. You do get some drop-ins from characters we know from Clone Wars and from the other movies, but they're mostly like one or two episode arcs. And so we get to explore a corner of the Star Wars universe that you don't get to explore very often. And of course, Maul shows up. And Maul also shows up. I will say... Grandpa. <laughs> I was So we watched... We watched some episodes of the Clone Wars to prepare to, for talking about episode two, which has Maul in it. And then we watched this movie. And then immediately afterwards, we watched a couple episodes of Rebels that also has Maul in it. So, but he's like stuck on a planet. And so it, it's like, where, how did he get from like running this crime syndicate? What to happened like, here? Like, this guy just pops up <laughs> right. different places. Well, okay, let's, let's review. Let's just for a minute here. Okay. Obi-Wan Kenobi chops him in half. 
Okay? What happens from there? I'll tell you. He ends up on a trash planet grafted to a spider. Sam, somehow, somehow, <laughs> uh, Palpatine is back. Right. I, I mean, I, gets discovered by his brother, like, goes on a revenge crusade, gets, like, hammered by Ahsoka, Order 66 happens, he gets away, he ends up running the biggest crime syndicate in the galaxy, and then ends up somehow, after that, stranded on a planet that has a Sith temple. Don't forget, he was king of Mandalore for a while. Like, <laughs> oh, like, holy shit, I forgot. That happened. Yeah. Uh, Listen, he's lived a life. Like, we're gonna <laughs> what, a, what a character. I mean, for, for you know, seeing the Phantom Menace for the first time and thinking, oh, George Lucas, you trolled me. You killed a character. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. He is... And yeah, I actually believe that all this stuff happened to him. It's for somehow, somehow, it's much more plausible to me than somehow Palpatine. Well, that's the thing. I'm like, they don't, they don't explain things. Somehow Palpatine returned. Somehow. Somehow. But uh, the other thing too is that I sent this into the Discord uh, channel earlier today. Is that we also have canonical proof that Darth Maul is in fact bisexual because he does not know how to sit in that throne in uh, in Mandalore at all. We see a grown-up Ahsoka. That's fun. The part-timer. Oh, yeah. Maul also calls Ahsoka a part-timer, which is my absolute favorite description of Ahsoka. Two Jedi and a (laughs) part-timer, which is just great. All of it's good. I also, I I think this is the place where I want to seed into something that comes up later that, you know, Captain Rex, who was the most notable clone. I mean, there's a lot of good ones in the Clone Wars, but the most notable clone he comes out of retirement in Rebels, and they've aged him in a certain way. They've given him facial hair and aged him in a certain way because the punchline is he's on Endor. They sculpted him in Rebels to make it plausible that he is a background actor in Return of the Jedi on Endor. And they never mention it. And it, it is it's the best so fucking <laughs> smooth. Like, if like, you're, you're going to make that kind of yeah. reference, just don't say anything. And like, they didn't. It's so, like, people on the internet, because, you know, people, I, you know, Megan, people on the internet. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, uh, they listeners like, don't know that every it. time Sam makes this joke, I make a astonished face. Like, how could that be? <laughs> Podcasting is a visual medium. Yeah. Podcasting is a visual medium. But I just, I, that's the thing about, that's the thing about the man with the hat, Dave Filoni. Yeah, and actually... Wait, is he Cad Bane? (laughs) Actually, we were talking about yesterday how we really wanted there to be more Anakin and Ahsoka material after the events of the original trilogy, Force Ghost or whatever. But I had completely forgotten until we watched today that there is actually some closure between them when she finds out that he is Darth Vader because for a long time she didn't know that that was him. And so... It's very emotional if you've watched The Clone Wars. The idea that like somebody who was her mentor and like taught her everything she knows and like who she loved and who called her he she called him her brother. Like she's like that's not the that can't be the same person. Like that's not the same person, but it is and it's like very tragic and it's that those kinds of things but in the background of these people running around doing heists together on this ship called Ghost. 
Plus, it has the character with the coolest hair in Star Wars, Sabine. All right, uh, Kenobi. Let's talk about Kenobi. So a lot of people hated Kenobi. I didn't. Um, I didn't. Uh, I know that there are several people who are screaming on the Discord channel right now. I think it's very understandable why people hated Kenobi. It is very messy. It is very much wink and nod and self-referential to itself in some ways. But I actually think that giving Ewan McGregor this character back and having him be able to explore, like, the way that the events of the prequel trilogy broke him um, as a character, I think is very interesting. I also think they do very good things with both young Leia and with Hayden Christensen as Vader. Hayden Christensen does a wonderful job with this character, especially in his confrontations with Obi-Wan, including a scene where he tries to reenact (laughs) the moment on... um, Mustafar. Mustafar, where Obi-Wan left him to die while on fire, which further cements Vader's uh, status as a messy bitch. So, like, there is that <laughs> moment as well, and him saying Vader is dead, or Anakin is dead, like, I'm Vader now. Like, it's it's very good stuff. And I will say this, as much as people want us to get away from the Skywalker saga, which I don't think is a bad thing, I love it when people tell other stories besides the Skywalkers. If you watch the movies Leia as a character is never used the way that she should be used. And I actually think that what they're trying to do in Kenobi is very interesting um, with young Leia, because I am actually interested to know how she got involved in the rebellion and how she was an organizer and like what she had to do. You know, she has her public face and her private face and all of that stuff. So like, to me, I actually don't think I minded it as much as a lot of people did. I really want to see more young Leia adventures because she hangs out with Holdo <laughs> and yeah. uh, young Holdo so that it exists in a, in a novel about Leia. I can't have Luna love good anymore, right. but I can have Holdo who is star Wars. Luna. Can I say this is, I was waiting for us to get through the whole thing so that I was going to put my cap on the episode, which is, Star Wars fans, read fan fiction. Take the canon back. Tell the stories you want to be told. <laughs> I, you know, I, the the Vader reenactment really does feel oh like it God. could be fan fiction. <laughs> like, like I, all I could when I think about it in my head, I, I, okay, I was like this, and you were like this. <laughs> Fire's hot, yeah. isn't it, asshole? Show you high ground. Listen, there's a lot of <laughs> he said all of those there's things, a lot I'm of crappy sure. fan fiction out there, but there's a lot of good stuff. And if uh, no, there's I, a story you feel like someone should have thought of, I bet they have. <laughs> except for except yeah. for Avatar, apparently. Yeah, apparently Avatar does not have a great. There are stories on Ao3 about Avatar, but apparently comparatively, it's not very. I much. believe so, that. So... <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I so... believe that. <laughs> However, Avatar The Last Airbender? Oh, endless. <laughs> the Zuko Katara fiction. Oh my fiction gosh, alone. yeah. Zutara, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Here's, here's why we need to make sure we have recasts of all the actors. Okay? Because we live, we don't live in the Star Wars universe. We live in a world that has a Star Wars universe created where the following can happen. Imagine a campfire. You have Force Ghost Obi-Wan, Force Ghost Anakin, Force Ghost Qui-Gon, Luke, Leia, 
Ahsoka. They have a talking stick. R2 is also there. They hash everything out. I could die. It could never happen. You know it could never happen. (laughs) Gilmore Girls, right? You remember the the, the episode? Yes. With the, the dinner scene that could be like a war scene. An amazing that? episode. Just quick back that, and forth. Oh, the dinner. Star Wars. What's it called is good. I never left you. <laughs> Not exactly that. But yeah, that would be good. But it's the classic if people in movies and TV shows actually went to therapy, then there wouldn't. That's basically how Fleabag ends. She's like, I don't have anything else interesting See? to tell you anymore. Goodbye. Well, the Falcon's right there in the background. <laughs> Chewie's like, not a part of this. You don't have to be. We've been awarding a most competent character to R2-D2 for the prequels because obviously, but in this one, it's definitely Chewie. And I do wonder sometimes if Chewie and R2 get together and like bitch about the other characters like and how they're constantly having to say They should. That's... <laughs> You're doing a lot of work today, Tessa, getting us through. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm, you, you have I'm, two very wayward people really trying to. Oh no, drag you I'm off like, topic. I'm like ready to go because uh, I could talk about this forever, especially these shows. So uh, the other, the last show that I wanted to to mention is The Bad Batch, which is probably it's the show that I think I'm the most that's ongoing besides Andor that I'm the most invested in. It's a spinoff of The Clone Wars. There was a backdoor pilot in the final season of The Clone Wars, which is actually a very good backdoor pilot. I don't always love backdoor pilots, but it's actually pretty good. It only has one season, but I love these clones. I mentioned when we talked about the Clone Wars that I'm very invested in the clones as a concept because I think it's fascinating, the idea of creating people to fight a war and like what's the ethics of that, what's the fallout of that. But these particular clones are like the defective clones, the ones that like didn't come out exactly right. You could call Uh, them maybe the bad batch. The bad batch, yeah. which, okay, they're Clone Force 99. That's actually their number. And it took me forever. Like, I just realized this the other day that it's 66 upside down. No, I'm just, You're it was hurting. so weird. Like, I was like, oh my God. I'm not one of those fans, I promise. But it was very strange. <laughs> it was a weird moment for me. But it's another chosen family narrative. And I'm suckers yeah, for that, I right? Know. Like, it's me these, too. And, and of course, it's like the classic, there's a bunch of men. And they are suddenly adrift in the universe after 66 because that it doesn't affect most of them. Like they, because they're the bad batch, they don't have the same issue that the rest of the clones have. They're suddenly adrift in the universe and they have a child with them. So it's like classic, like, you know, chosen family, a bunch of men trying to take care of this child who is also a clone. She is an unaltered clone, just like Boba Fett was. It is interesting because we don't know a lot about Omega, like why she exists, why they were trying to keep her a secret, why people try to keep getting her back from the Bad Batch. Um, Fennec Shand is in this as well. Um, she is the bounty hunter that's played by Ming-Na Wen in uh, the, Mandal- or, yeah, the Mandalorian and in the Book of Boba Fett. She's amazing in this. Um, I think she's my favorite bounty hunter. Sorry, Boba fans. It's true. What I love about the show is that it introduces so many questions that I actually want answered. Like, I'm like, I want to know the answer to these questions. I want to know what happens to these characters. I'm invested in them. I want to know where it all goes. There are some cameos from Rex and maybe Ahsoka. There's a flirtation between, like, the leader of the Bad Batch and Rafa, which is, like, very great. 
I want her to come back. I want them to make out. It's all a whole thing. And I also want to know what Crosshair's redemption and atonement look like, because the Star Wars, as we said before, is very obsessed with the idea of a redemption, but it's not very good at showing us, like, usually it kills the person, right, who is redeemed, so we don't have to deal with, like, the messy aftermath. That's not going to work here. Crosshair's still alive. He's back with the Force, but he he's still they still have to work out their issues. So I think it'll be very interesting to see what they actually do with that. I was I was sitting there thinking... Megan, you haven't seen all of it. This must just sound like a lot of, and I'm like, oh, this is when they talk about Star Trek. This is how I feel. <laughs> I just hear. I'm trying to play it cool. You guys have mentioned like Order sixty six as if it's something I should just know off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> I have it pulled up on Wikipedia right now, so I'm up to date. But <laughs> first of all, Wikipedia. Wikipedia right? is the best. Yeah. I I gotta tell you, I was kind of in the weeds on the Bad Batch myself. Because it's been a while, and Tessa remembers things much better. In fact, I had to look up the end of this first season of The Bad Batch, which has basically the cloning facility at Camino going boom. And the Empire basically relocates her to a new, f- the, the head doctor, to a new, doctor, to a new facility. And I'm like, oh, well, that's somehow... The Emperor Returned. Oh, That's somehow. Yeah. Somehow. Like, the, yeah. the sequel trilogy ain't going to happen by <laughs> itself. So the question is, is she making Snoke or is she making Palpatine? I don't want that question answered. I just want... I know you don't. Well, Star Wars is the series of given answers to questions we don't actually want. Midichlorians. Yeah, yeah so Tessa, I, what did you think? Did you think this so was Magnificent Seven, the Star Wars show? show? No. I also love Omega because all of the clones are voiced wonderfully by Dee Bradley Baker, who I mentioned before. I mean, classic voice actor, but somehow he manages to make characters that all look the same and have the same voice sound like completely different characters, which I think is really amazing work by him. Omega, I I have to look up the voice actress, but she is clearly from New Zealand. And I have to say that every single time that she mentions one of the other clones names, Wrecker, she says, Rika. It's like my favorite thing in the whole world. Like, I don't know why that makes me so happy, but she's, she's great. I love her. Because it's great. Why do you hate Joy? <laughs> I don't hate Joy. That's the thing. I am allowing myself to. That's why everyone loves Grogu. Oh, Baby wait. It's Yoda the internet who hates joy. joy. I forgot. Sorry. Yeah, it's the internet that takes away Joy. Okay. Okay. Sam, you're in charge of the next segment Max Rebo's, Max Rebo's Retcon, Retcon, Retcon Corner. Corner. Well, there's not really a lot here, except for the fact that I think Disney would just like to retcon this movie in general. So there's that. We've talked about the Millennium Falcon possibly being sentient. That's weird. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Han Solo's last name. That's weird. Kind of sucks. The dice have emotional significance. Uh Uh-huh. I forgot we hadn't even got into that. They're just like some junk that he put up (laughs) one day and forgot about it. Like dice in the car. I think it makes him a better character for him to be like, I just thought it looked sick. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Or or to have Lando say, Do you still have my dice? Those are mine. Do you know how how many things I buy just because I'm like, that'd be pretty cool. Like there's so little things that are actually significant. Not everything has to have a meaning. Yeah. Okay. Not everything has yeah. to have a meaning. And listen, 
I am not. I mean, in fact, I'm very anti-unified theory of Star Wars because if we're if we don't accept that everything's going to work out in a nice, neat, fuzzy package, we can ignore everything about the sequel trilogy that we want. But, but, you know, I just, I just, Chewbacca has seen a lot of things. Okay. He's and seen some shit. He, he's seen some shit. He's eaten some people. He's lived a and life. And I just want to point out, I want to go back to episode three for a moment. Okay. Like, he knows Yoda, right? And so, like, I forgot to mention this last time, so I'm just, it's not really anything about Solo. I just imagine at the end of Empire Strikes Back, Luke, you know, talk about where Luke's, but he's like, oh, you were with Yoda? Dude, that guy's cool. Tell him Chewie the fam say hello. Well, and that just comes back to how how much art, like, true original art can you create when you're starting with a, you know, whiteboard filled with, well, this is where we have to start. This is where we have to end. And these are the things that have to be established on the way. Canon means nothing. <laughs> have fun. <laughs> I will say, though, for the life debt being such a big deal in the Star Wars universe, they talk about it awfully hardly any at all in this movie. Yeah, I was... There is a reason Chewbacca is going to yeah. follow him around forever. They don't really talk about well, it that's very much. because they're best yeah, friends. And it seemed kind of anticlimactic. <laughs> like, he... Stopped him from falling off a train, I guess. I guess. Question. He was going pretty fast. Or he convinced him not to eat him, I guess. Which that's canon now. Chewie has eaten people. Well, it's a real thing. Who who amongst us hasn't? <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say coming to Showtime in twenty twenty. I was just gonna make that joke. Bones and all You're in welcome. theaters now. <laughs> oh my god! Get Christina Ricci in a uh, Star Wars. Uh, I haven't I haven't watched Wednesday yet. Uh, uh, you know I'm behind all the time, but uh, I heard she's good in it. <laughs> On to the lighter side of the force. We've been having a lot of fun laughing at things uh, about this movie and about Star Wars in general. The grayer side of the force. But I have to say that uh, during the train sequence, I noticed that the stormtroopers protecting the train had fur integrated into their stormtrooper armor, and I mentioned it. And Sam responded by saying... They're, they're fur troopers. I mean, <laughs> snow troopers is already taken. They don't look like snow troopers. So, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Warmth is important, but fashion is more important in okay, the Star Wars listen, universe. Okay, and, listen, and there's a really imperial calculation here because, you know, stormtroopers really are a dime a dozen. You know, they get shot, they die, they're replaceable. I mean... Frankly, poor people are less expensive than droids or clones. And that's exactly why there are stormtroopers. But, you know, they can't get shot by the good guys if they die of hypothermia first. Yeah. So it's really a cost-benefit You're protecting your investment. And because it's Empire, they got to look good. It's synthetic fur, though. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. yeah, Obviously, they would never risk PETA getting on them about that. (laughs) They already have OSHA on oh, them yeah. about their shipbuilding <laughs> technology. You know, I, I would like the High Republic story where we learn about how they solve the whole greenhouse gases issue. This movie is ostensibly about hyperdrive fuel or whatever the yeah. fuck. So, um, so the MacGuffin, the MacGuffin they're going to sit yeah. in a room at Disney and be like, all right, so let's say we were starting from <laughs> now. How would we fix climate change? <laughs> I thought you, well, I mean, you know... <laughs> 
I can think of worse things than Disney forgetting. But if yeah, Disney's gonna put money behind it, Disney figuring <laughs> yeah. out how to do climate change, how to solve it, how to do it. They already know how yeah. to do it. Bob Iger's back. You know they're gonna take on some new projects. <laughs> That's right. The House of Mouse defeats global warming. They put the ice back on the shelf. It's imagineering people. <laughs> I really liked the humor of this film. I mean, obviously, some of the more self-referential like jokes, fine, whatever. But like, and I don't know. I guess how much of it's Lord and Miller. I don't know how much of it's. Ron I Howard. felt so. I, I felt say, like there was so things. obvious when there was like a Lord and Miller joke. I I hate you was. Lord like, and Miller, also when he when sure. he's holding the rock and he goes click like it's the bomb and you're like, <laughs> just no shot. That's Ron Howard. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, so like that was pretty funny, but then also like there's a there's just these little humorous moments. Like there's the scene where <laughs> they've gone out into this like unknown the castle, you know, thing, I don't the know, nebula experience. or whatever. And like suddenly the light comes on and they see this giant eye and they all just scream at the same time. Like I just kept that laughing was, at that. That was that like literally <laughs> I feel like is a beat in Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Like <laughs> I think that exact same thing happens. <laughs> oh, I'm not mad about it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, Woody Harrelson, like, running around that ship frantically trying to get everything to work. And, like, when the gun gets shot off and he's like, it hurt my thumbs real bad. Like, it's yeah. just very funny to me. I mean, of course, I'd watch Woody Harrelson do right. whatever. So, like, Would you watch him be a barkeep? Yes, would I would. Watch him be I a, would. Yeah. I've, I've never seen Cheers, Cheers either. I've see... seen 11 seasons of Frasier. I've never seen a single episode of Cheers. <laughs> I, I saw him in Frasier as well, but not Cheers. Um, and then I also really loved when Han tried to bluff their way out of the Emphis Ness situation and Lando just left them, like just took <laughs> off and left. No, no. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Good. That is exactly the relationship that I think that they have. Like, yes, 100%. That is definitely the guy who's going to sell out his best friend and get him put in carbonite. Yep, yep. Not because nope. he had a choice, but no. still. It's a doggy dog world out there. Do we ever think that like Han and Lando have kissed? No. Uh, I think Lando's tried. Fan fiction begs to yes. differ. Uh <laughs> okay, here's the thing. No, but Lando has definitely tried on multiple occasions there is a lot of <laughs> ill-advised kissing in star wars i'm not writing this off <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about it's not like luke ever kissed no Leia <laughs> no that would be like, so Mom. weird <laughs> they're babies at this point I'm kidding. I'm saying what? that. I'm saying that like someone who's never seen the series. They didn't even like, know they the were beginning. related. Still yeah. I didn't know that was a conceit you were doing. <laughs> it's probably an ill-advised yeah. one. Um, oh boy. You mean watching Star Wars is ill-advised? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody should watch this. If you've never seen a Star Wars, you, I can't imagine sitting down and being like, you know what? I think you should just watch it all. <laughs> In the year no, of our Lord, no 2022, be like, you know, I think you should just, yeah, sacrifice your mental stability. It was Sam's year to pick. <laughs> it was Sam's year to pick. You no, know, 
I picked the Fast and the Furious That's though, true. so very long. I have a very long leash. To be I'm fair, saying. there are very few people in this world now who have not uh, experienced some level of Star Wars. <laughs> the only people who haven't seen the Star Wars are in the Star, are Wars. In the Star Wars. That's because they lived them, Ted. They lived the Star Wars. Are there any moments in this film that made you laugh, Megan? Yeah, I think I think a lot of the ones that you mentioned, just like kind of the little throwaway things or, I mean, the more subtle ones, obviously, that I like really enjoyed. But again, then it's just like the chronically online version of me is like, okay, well, like, would this all have worked better if if Lord Miller had never left? You know, would like... Would I feel like this is as herky-jerky as it's feeling to me? But I still like, you know, it's good writing. It just occurred to me. Imagine the solo in this movie is Daffy Duck. Just that assuredness of his own competence and constantly being proven that he should not have that confidence. From minute one, when they're escaping in the speeder, (laughs) this is going to work. It didn't. Oh, that was the other thing that I found funny was when he's like, I'm going to like, I, I learned this from like a racer back home. He's dead now. He's yeah. dead now. <laughs> doing this. <Yeah. laughs> like that. But he almost, that was, almost had it. So. But he, he, <laughs> but he almost, almost got there. Uh, and, and Chewie correcting him about the number of parsecs. He's like, not if you round down, buddy. From <laughs> yeah, what? We have. Completed solo, a Star Wars story for whatever it's worth, which is the shortest one we've done so far, but I'm not surprised considering the movie. You know, solo adventures often don't take as long because you don't oh, have a party geez. with you. Oh, God. <laughs> Tomorrow, we will be discussing Rogue One with Jack. Um, so tune in to hear all our thoughts about Jin Erso and Cassian Andor, who has his own show now. And Mads Mikkelsen. Who's that played by? I know that's a really cool Star Wars name, but who's he? Um... And Saw Guerrera. Okay. Uh, where can people find us? Megan, where can people find you online? Yes, I am at Spell Megan, S-P-E-L-L-M-E-G-A-N, uh, pretty much everywhere. Twitter for as long as it's still up. Uh, letterboxed, uh, you know, just around. Well, and actually, I forgot because I said holidays and Fast and Furious, but we're, of course, also hoping that you come back for the Oscars this year, which you reminded us of. I'm ready. Earlier. (laughs) I'm prepared. I'm really ahead of schedule this year. I'm feeling good. (laughs) (laughs) What are some of like your your top like your top three? Like you think for sure these films will be in the nominations. And if not, something horrible's happened. It's kind of a fun year. So I'm. I'm on the everything everywhere all at once train, which is excellent and I think is maintaining its momentum. I just recently saw The Fablemans, which I actually did really enjoy. I think it's, I don't know if it's like the best Spielberg movies that he's ever made, but I think it will definitely be up there nomination wise because it's kind of prolific at this point. Um, and a third one, you know what I'll say, I'll shout out, uh, Banshees of Inishirin. I, uh, this director, his last movie was Three Billboards. I was not a fan of Three Billboards, but, uh, this I actually really liked. So I'm hoping that, uh, dating 
Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a good influence. I really thought that movie was going to like come and go, but it has actually like had some staying power. Yeah. And I haven't seen it, so. Colin Farrell's having a good year. That's definitely not hurting. That movie is, uh, I, I went in being like, I didn't like his old like his last movie so i was just kind of like oh you know i'm here to see this and i really enjoyed it so i thought it was really smart and funny we'll see what the nominations are this year and maybe we'll have another five-part episode talking about the oscars with jack oh, gosh as well sam where can people find you you can find me on twitter at sam underscore morris nine and by the way i think twitter exists a day longer Every time we talk about how it might be gone. <laughs> yeah, no, we're cursing it by pretending it's... But I, like, listen, I'm not happy about the situation we're all in, mm-hmm. but I'm also not going to pretend I'm not overly reliant on Twitter, so I don't want it to crash When you, when you said I'm not happy about the situation we're in, I was going to say, which one? <laughs> yeah, valid. All of them. <laughs> you can also find me on Letterboxd at Melody Valentine. You can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Storygraph at The By Paradox. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nanny Ogg's Book Club, where my friend Nigel and I are reading through all of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels. You can find that on Twitter, as far as it is still going, at Nanny's Book Club, and on Instagram at Nanny Ogg's Book Club. You can also find more from me and Sam on Movie John. We've been writing a lot about movies lately, so you can find us there. Send us your thoughts about the monkeys we talked about today, what pop culture you've crossed off your list lately, what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes, or anything else that comes to mind. Find us on Twitter, at MonkeyBacklog. Email us at MonkeyOffMyBacklog at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and follow us on Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back, and may the force be with you.